Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. It is a brand new edition of Flyers Daily. Happy Memorial Day to everybody. Thanks for listening uh, on this Memorial Day. Hope you had a good, safe weekend. Joining us on Memorial Day Monday, like it is every Monday, 52 weeks of the year, from PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com, it is Bill Meltzer. Bill, you have a good holiday weekend? Uh, very nice. How about yours? It, it's crazy. It's unofficially summer. <laughs> crazy, right? Like, I can't and, and wrap my head around good. that. You know, I, I was thinking the other day, too, well, the Flyers have been done a long time now, and uh, we're not even the Stanley Cup Finals yet, you know? Yeah. It, and the, I get excited about summer because it leads to fall. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of the warm weather, although the weather of late has been absolutely gorgeous. Um, but where I want to start today is I, I know that uh, Danny Briere, now the general manager, interim tag removed, I spoke to him this week. And uh, I know he joined uh, Glenn Macnow and Mike Sealski on uh, their Saturday radio show. And I saw Mike's, you know, put out, you know, a tweet and I saw it on Facebook as well. Mike said, so the Flyers general manager came on our radio show today and said he was open to trading the franchise goalie. No biggie. Now, I haven't heard the audio you have. Uh, I know Mike Sealski, nice guy, very smart guy, way smarter than me. But he tends to embellish a little bit. Is that an embellished uh, kind of headline there? It's embellished, yeah. Um, now, I mean, you know, Danny didn't say absolutely untouchable, you know. I, so, I, but that's not really news. Most general managers will say nobody's totally untouchable, and you have to listen, particularly particularly where the Flyers are right now. And that's really all he said. Yeah, you know, and and, and he also added that he essentially doesn't anticipate. You know, doesn't anticipate Carhartt going anywhere. You know, I I think it would be I think it would be a discussion topic a year out from now. Um, if he's not willing to commit long term, then then I think that it's then I think it's more of a more of a thing, right? I I, I right right now particularly it doesn't even behoove Carter Hart to commit long term right now. You wait a year, bet on yourself, and 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 you go from there. Um. How often, how often when you have a number one goalie, um, and and it was something that Anthony Demarco brought up, and I agree with him completely. How often, how often do, especially considering the value of the position, how often do you get really fair value for a goalie in a trade? It's hard, yeah. Yeah. unless it's a multi-piece thing. But but what Danny essentially said is, you listen. If somebody blows you away, you consider it, and that's real. That's really all he said. I, I really thought I really did, I thought that was a nothing burger, honestly. Yeah, I, look. I put out a tweet about it, and it, my theory is with the Flyers right now, what they've gone through the last three years since ni- the nineteen twenty season where they had a, a legitimate good season. But since then, at this point where they are right now and considering what's in front of them, I put out a tweet and said, no player on this team is untouchable. That's that's a term that should not apply to anyone. But I said that with that said, you have you have buckets, if you will. You have players that, yeah, you want to move. Torts talks about it with subtraction. They want to move guys out of here, whether it's because they don't fit the timeline, they don't fit the style of play, they don't fit the standard, whatever. Then you have the players you'd rather not move, but you'll listen on. Then you have the players you're you're not looking to move. And then you have players, you know, where you're going to listen on everything. You, have play, you don't want to move these guys. But like you said, if somebody's going to give you uh, everything and more, you have to consider it to make your club better. Plus you never know where the conversations lead. A lot of times yeah. a, a trade talk trade conversation, Bill doesn't happen 
but it turns into an actual another trade a couple of weeks or a couple of months or a year later. Sure. Sure. It, it becomes a whole different trade or it becomes a trade involving that guy, but that trade, that trade has to go down for another year. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it's a conversation starter. I, I just, uh, I just, right now, given where the, the flyers are, I just, uh, you know, I just, Again, you have to listen, but I, I don't. Uh, I didn't. I didn't hear the audio from that. I go, oh boy, there's a pretty good chance he's moved. Yeah. yeah so, so, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes you come away kind of feeling that. I, I, I didn't. I didn't get that vibe from this. So yeah. You know, a lot of people said in, in my responded to my tweet and said, "Well, I'd trade him for a haul." But what is a haul yeah. when it comes to a 24 year old goaltender? So let's assess that real quick, Bill. Let's assess the risk element of this if you trade him and let's just say he goes on to become you know i think he's a really good goalie now his numbers don't belie that because of his environment and the teams he's played on the last three years but i think he's in that upper echelon of goalies now and i and i'll be honest with you i don't think there's a lot of great goalies in the nhl right now uh compared to you know eras past i I look at about eight guys that i go okay legit number ones and he's right right there on the back end of that right now. Ultimately that's determined by playoff success. But if you get rid of him, the risk here really is, do you have the replacement? I haven't seen enough of Sam Harrison. I haven't seen enough of Felix Sandstrom playing well to like make me even consider that. Kolosov is 21 years old. He's in the KHL. He's not going to get over here for a few years. Yeah. Is he a good prospect? Sure. But the heir apparent, I don't know that, that he's sitting here. I don't know if Sam Harrison's an NHL goalie, let alone a one. In the NHL, I just don't know that yet. Yeah, and then there's there's no such thing as too much goalie depth. Yeah, um, and, and you, you learn that from history sometimes. I, you know, you and you look at Flyers history, right? Uh, there was a period of time where everybody was sure Maxime Ouellette was the next big thing, right? And he, he actually debuted in the NHL at 19, which is so rare for an NHL goalie. Um, you know, and, and they had Brian Boucher in the system. They had Niedermaki in the system. And um, they had, they had Johan Hedberg in the system, right? And uh, I mean, of the of, of a lot of them, Boosh came the closest to. Uh, you meant Johan Backlund, right? No, they 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 they, they had, had Hedberg uh, too. Hedberg. Wow, Hedberg. Yeah, he was a wow. uh, he was a, a late round pick in in uh, in uh, the ninety four, and wow. uh, yeah, so you know, a, but yeah, they they had they had Johan Backlund late later on down the line yeah. too. But they, they had all these young goalies. Passing through the farm system, and again, I mean, Bush had a good career, but uh, you know, Bush and he was an all rookie team guy and got him within a got him within a win of the Stanley Cup final, and the rest of Bush's career was, was good, but Bush was never that that franchise goalie. You can never, you know, you just you just never know you just how goalie development works. And the other part of it too is that it's so hard to separate. You know, you basically a, a good team around a good goalie will make will. will Pick both of them up, but if but if you're we we've discussed this before. If you're strong enough or weak enough in one area or the other, it's gonna pull the other one up or it's gonna drag everything down with it. And um, to me, the, how how long were the Flyers searching for a guy? You go, this is our number one goalie for a long time with the yeah. pedigree that, that Carter Hart has. And I'm not saying there's no circumstance where you trade him. Again, maybe you come to a point where he's really not willing to commit. And you have to think about it. They're they're not at that stage right now. But how long will the Flyers searching for that guy? And I, I think they have it in Carter Hart. 
I, I'd be I'd be really reluctant, especially right now, to to pull the trigger on him. But again, it doesn't mean you don't listen. But um, in, in the system right now, yeah, Kolosov looks tr- tremendous so far in the KHL. But as you say, he's still only 21. Um, Urson had a really good year this year for the Phantoms. He got a little tired at the end of the season. And he didn't, he didn't finish so strong. But that doesn't mean he won't be fine next year. I think yeah. you take that another year out. And, you know, and I, I'm not I'm not even sure that um, – you know, I'm not even sure Sanchez is going to stay in North America for the long term. Yeah. So Almost we'll went back see. to Sweden last year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, to me it becomes a real – it, it makes evaluating where your team is in a rebuild very difficult when you don't have goaltending. Yeah. And to me, it's I think it's hard to develop players up front when you don't have it too, because when you don't have it, you're just afraid you're going to make a mistake and, and you're going to get scored on. And to me, you got to have, have a lot of belief in that guy back there. I think that helps with development. I think that helps evaluate truly where your rebuild is through certain stages as well. And I talked harder off the record. I said, uh, if I'm you, I'm not signing a contract this offseason either. I want to see the economics of the league when the salary cap goes up. Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. um, uh, yeah. And a year from now, it could go kind of significantly. Has a good year, then all of a sudden, that's worth a few, few extra million dollars for him. So, yeah. He, there's, really, there's really no reason for him to commit. There's really no reason for the Flyers to lock themselves in long term. Because, you know, suppose, suppose you go another year out and they don't progress this year and then you maybe are looking at a situation where maybe you might have to deal them, but that, that's not this off season. Yeah. And, and to me, it's like a quarterback in football. Um, when you don't have one, you're looking for one and it's yeah. kind of at the top of your off season to do list. If you don't have one, same thing with a goalie that goes right to the top of the, off- I got to find a guy that can give me stops because if I don't have that, I'm looking for it. And we'd looked a long time in this city and now you have it. I, I don't know that you give it away. Not give it away or trade it away, I should say, even for what is uh, some people would deem a quote unquote haul. Um, so I think there's a lot of risk in there that I'm not willing to take. Um, Bill, you mentioned, you know, world's wrapped up and uh, uh, Team USA, unfortunately, is going to come home empty handed after a great start to the tournament. And it was a great first six, seven games for Cutter Gauthier. Looks like he ran out of gas a little bit, too. Yeah, um, kind of reflected the team. You know, USA was 90 seconds away from the gold medal game. And um, couldn't couldn't nail it down. Um, and then today they were wasn't quite that close, but they had they had a lead in the last the last five minutes of the game. Couldn't nail it down against Germany. Lose both games in overtime, and next thing you know, you're coming home empty-handed. Um, Gautier was was phenomenal through the first eight games of the tournament. Um, pretty pretty quiet the last two, which. You know, it's a little disappointing because it's the semifinals and a medal game, but it was just kind of reflected the way the team as a whole played. I don't think it, it detracts from you know, the, the way he played the tournament. It's uh, one thing is that uh, he's, you know, he and other guys that are in that situation used to college hockey where you're playing essentially two days a week. Yeah. And you're practicing between now all of a sudden three games, three games and four nights. It's tough. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's also used to playing against college kids, not against men and, and some of the best players in the world. That's part of it as well. And, um, yeah, he had a really good tournament. I think we got some glimpses of some of the elements that he's going to bring to the table that shot. And, you know, it was interesting. I was talking to Danny Breer on Wednesday when I taped him for the pod and we were talking about Cutter and his comp on Cutter was Jeff Carter. 
because yeah. of where he scores. Like Carter would score from the, those spots a lot too. Yeah, and and if he stays at center, you know, Carter, Jeff Carter is a good example of that shoot first center because you know you typically as a distributed playmaking guy. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean Jeff Carter was a shoot first guy, and 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 if uh, Gautier stays at center, um, you know he'll he'll be a shoot first kind of center, which is fine as long as he has a guy to get him the puck on the wings, it, it can work. Um, you know, I I, I it, it's a uh, it's an interesting. It's an interesting decision, long haul. Uh, I'm comfortable either which way. I, I think that a faster route to the NHL, making an impact, might be on the wing. But in the long term, you know, building through the middle is, is in some ways you build through the middle and you round out on the wing. So, you know, I I could see both sides of it. I, I think the big variable here in that equation for me, yeah, I I'd, I'd almost rather him start on the wing because. It would give him less responsibility, and I think his confidence will come quicker with offensive results, right? Like we've seen, you know, Noah Cates went through that a little bit this year when he moved from the wing to the middle, and you know, he he had more responsibility and and putting up points were um, not as high up on the list, and he wasn't getting as many points. But I think towards the end of the year, you started to see him score again and, and really get involved offensively even though he was so good defensively, he could do both. But I think the big element here, the big scenario is where, what's Sean Couturier, you know, exactly. where does he fit? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you have a lot of years in that contract. So, yeah. um, I mean, it, it, it's so crucial for a lot of things with the flyers that Couturier is a healthy and B at least a reasonable facsimile of the player he was before, before the injuries that, I mean, that makes a big difference in, in, where the Flyers will be for the next few years to come, um, but yeah, if you have you have Couturier, you have Cates, um, you know Frost led the team in scoring over the final fifty six games of the year. Atkinson, Atkinson, and well, he's, yeah, he, on on a wing. Flyers yeah. have that. Flyers have that depth on right wing, so that's uh, but they they need help on the left side. So you know, playing uh, playing Gautier on on a left wing, even even the top two lines. Uh, that's a pretty attractive option too. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, one of the other things that I, when I spoke with Danny Breer on, on Wednesday for Friday's episode was about the draft. That, that's kind of the next, you know, uh, significant date for the flyers is coming up to the draft and you get some stuff done maybe before that, once the cup gets handed out and um, that kind of stuff. But, you know, I asked him, you know, what's the strategy at seven and, you know, is it best player available? And he, he said, yeah, it's best player available. You're in a situation here where, you, you know, you can't miss because you of a specific need that you deem. You got needs all over the place. Um, and I asked him specifically about Matvey Michkov. And he basically what he said, I'm not going to give you like a, a an inflated headline, kind of like the Sealski did. But basically what he said is, I don't think he'll be there at seven. But we wouldn't be afraid to, if if he's at the top of our board, we wouldn't be afraid because of the variable of when is he coming over. I was yeah. a little surprised at that. Yeah, I, I am too. I, I think that the reason why he's not going to go top three or four potentially, like like, and then once you get out of first three or four, then all of a sudden the guys guys can fall. It just takes one guy being higher on the list. That's, yeah. that's the thing. Um, but you know when you say. BPA best player available with most guys 
most guys, the emphasis on the BP, best player, best prospect, right? The A here is a big part. Best player available, right? When's he coming over? And that, that that's uh, it's hard it's hard to say that with any certainty, truly. Yeah, because you just we just don't know. Uh, yeah. We don't know how long this goes on. Like like Fedotov, I think we feel pretty confident that he's probably never coming over at this point. But you never know. There is a chance, depending how things play out. But yeah, with with Michkov, you just don't know. Yeah, he's a dynamic talent. You and I were talking about this. Um, on the phone the other day, you know, one of the things is, is, you know, if he's here, Tortorella is going to want him to be a 200 foot player. You're not, we're not asking him to be Patrice Bergeron. That's not what we're saying, but he's going to have to be, have some defensive responsibility at knowing his el- best elements of his game or his offensive part. And, you know, you don't have the same expectation of every player because some are better offensively, some are better defensively. And, but he's going to have to have some of that. And after three more years in the KHL where he's filling up the net and he comes over and he's 22 years old, is it easy to instill those 200-foot habits into that player at that point? That's difficult, no. I think. Yeah. It, 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 it gets harder. <laughs> it gets yeah. harder as the player goes along and he feels like he knows his own game. And, and yep. it, can be, it can be tricky. Um, you know, and you don't, you don't draft a player because of who your coach is. On the city, on the on the flip side, if John Tortorella is putting his fingerprints on what is the right way to play, that they'll they'll go beyond however however many years towards his tenure goes. Does you know when you're assessing the player, does he fit in with the way you want the team to play? Yeah. That, that's you have you have to you have to consider that. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, truthfully, for that matter, um, you know, you can get Bedard right or picking first. Well, you pick him, right? Uh, you, you, but I mean, Bedard's not a 200 foot player either. Now he may become over time, but th- there's a certain point where you just fill the net so much you just deal deal with whatever deficiencies yeah. there might be. Um, I don't know if Michkov is quite that guy. Um, maybe over time he may be, but I I don't know. I mean, the, the thing thing with any, pretty much any player in the KHL or the VHL uh, or the MHL, which is the Russian Junior League. Um, it wasn't all that long ago. It was pretty easy to see the games. Um, the 11 network, uh, which, which we had on, on our, uh, on our system, I was able to watch live KHL games, um, because of what's gone on with Russia and, and, um, you know, the Ukraine invasion and whatnot. I can't see those games anymore. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's not like, it's not like you have crossover scouts going over too. You usually still have a scout base in Russia and the Flyers do They have one. Um, but you, you can't get the you can't get the feedback from cross scouting and the and Russia's banned from all those IA double IHF tournaments. So yeah, yeah, it, it's hard it's hard to say you've seen him enough to have a number of voices where it becomes a consensus that he's your guy too. That that's a piece yeah. of it also. Yeah, so there there is inherent risk with the player for sure. So um, you know we'll see. He could be a, he's a big question mark at the top of this draft. I mean. It, what if Columbus grabs him? I don't think Columbus is looking to do that, but you know, if, if he's coming over right away, he gets taken before Leo Carlson, probably. Yeah, yeah, pro- probably just just based on. I mean, he's he has, and you can just tell he only tells so much from highlight clips. But my goodness, this guy has moves, moves yeah. on moves, yeah, and uh, yeah, I, and so you know, there, there's no doubting the hands. There's no, there's no doubting the creativity or any of that. So. Just just in terms of you go, boy, this guy, this guy clicks. 
you've got a superstar forward on your hands offensively. So yeah, that that's it. So at what, at what point does, I, I would say that at the point where there's a real drop off, um, you, you hit that next level of prospect down where if the guy hits his ceiling, he's a middle six guy, you know? Yeah. Um, then, then I'll say, yeah, we, we you, it's worth the risk. I think, I think up and up where the flyers are, Top seven, top eight, even maybe top maybe ten. When, yeah. You know, when you weigh defensemen in, into the mix. Yeah. Um, I I don't I don't know. I, it, it's a big risk. Um, it also depends on where your farm system is. It depends on where your other picks are. If you have a you have a couple of first round picks, then then maybe maybe you know maybe you take the shot right then and there. I I don't know, but I don't I don't think the, where the Flyers are, um. Unless, you know, and if you can make some deals and you get another first round pick out of them, maybe it changes that equation for the Flyers. But mm-hmm. right now, the Flyers have traded a number of second round picks. A couple of years ago, they traded their first round pick. So that was the, the, in the wrist aligning trade. The Flyers didn't pick first that year. Um, they're they're going to go three straight years without any second round pick. And in this draft, the third round pick is going to Carolina from, um, from the Tony D'Angelo trade. Yeah. So now the Flyers, after the Flyers pick seventh, they're not going to pick again until the latter third of the third round. And at, yeah. at, that, at that point, the draft is entirely a crapshoot. There will be some guys, like most drafts, who come out of those third and later rounds. Boy, why didn't somebody draft him sooner? It's because yeah. you know, because he suddenly comes on after he's drafted. That's why. Yeah, why didn't they draft Braden Point two rounds earlier? Because <laughs> we didn't know he would be Braden Point. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think the other thing, too, is, you know, they're right in that sweet spot of, okay, six forwards have been taken. Do we want the seventh best forward or do we want the number one ranked right shot D, (laughs) you know? So they're in that. I know that that would under, I feel like that would underwhelm the fan base. Yeah. And and I think the fan base is a little healthier now than it's been for the last three years. Like there's still miserable people out there and people that just can't get on board with anything. And look, we don't know if, Jonesy and Briere and Dan Hilfrey and the whole thing's going to work. Um, there's a, there's a lot of optimism that it will and people like it, but there is some misery out there, but I think people, you know, I, I thought the, the show the other night lifting off was, was really cool and good to see. And I, and I hope that continues for a long period of time because I think fan base needs to get to know these guys. They need to, to get to know the personalities of these players because uh, you know, just beyond get pucks deep and work hard. And yeah. I, I think they'll give them a little bit more latitude and a little bit more patience. But when you look at the situation right now, I, I think the fan base is getting a little bit healthier. I asked Danny about this off the record and or off the out of the interview and just said, I, I just I'm just getting this vibe in around the organization. And I wonder if you do as well, that things feel really fresh right now. There is a, an air of optimism there. And I think it's has to do with Danny, obviously, and Dan Helferty and the way he spoke. But I think it's really a big part of it's Jonesy and the connection to how things were culturally for a long time while he was here under Mr. Snyder. Oh, for sure. Uh, you, uh, you know, this during the honeymoon period, that only lasts so long. Right. But to, during the honeymoon period, you have, you have the air being new and new ideas and, and a new, really, uh, the strategy the Flyers are employing is pretty, something pretty non-traditional. But you also have the familiarity uh, with Danny, Briere, and Jonesy. So, you know, yeah, you, you kind of have that the mix of the two at, at the same time. And um, 
obviously haven't haven't played a game under under the restructured management side of it, and, and it looks like from from what we hear that there will be further changes to come on on that side of things uh, within hockey operations. So there'll be there'll be some new people on on that side of it too. Um, so I, I do think there'll be a little bit more patience. Um, again, that's uh, that doesn't last forever, but uh, but I do think that uh, I do think coming in. And I do think during that first press conference, I hit that one out of the park. Yeah, and, and uh, that that did create a sense of optimism um, that haven't had in a while. Even if it's more of a long term optimism, because there's a, there's always you know there's always a caveat. Hey, we're gonna need patience. It's not come. It's not happening overnight. Which is which is something that I think has has to be said. Yeah. So it um, can't just be implied. No, no, it, it can, and it can't come. You know, uh, it, it doesn't take too much digging to say, hey. Aggressive retool was the wrong, wrong, yeah. wrong way to phrase it. Was where the Flyers were at the time. I, I think, yeah. I think the the right message is being delivered now. So, um, Bill, one of the things you know, there, there's some coaching vacancies around the league, um, and we've heard Brad Shaw's name mentioned in connection with a couple of them. He's a guy that's been with Torts many times. He actually was a head coach for a brief period of time many years ago. Um, but if he does get a gig, does it seem likely that to you? Brad Larson would be a, a guy to join this coaching staff because he's worked with Torts before and he's not in Columbus any longer. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he wouldn't be the guy to coach the defense and the PK necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll, I mean, although, you know, Yosi was a, was a forward who coached the defense here. So yeah, it, it, it's not completely unheard of. And he had been, and Chris Larson has been a head coach. So he knows, you know, he knows the system side of it too, but I, I could easily see Larson coming in in some role and maybe, Shuffling some other things around to have a defensive coach come in. Uh, I hope for Shazi's sake he gets that chance. Um, yeah. uh, it, it'd be a big departure. He's a highly respected assistant coach. Um, you know, and you can't only go by by stats where the Flyers ranked on the PK. I thought the Flyers PK on the whole, on the whole, was better. It hit it hit some really rough patches during the season and really pulled the numbers down. And they, and they were um, trying guys that are not yeah. going to be on the PK. <laughs> it was not nothing long term. No, they they yeah. were trying a lot of different things. So, um, but I mean, long long term, you you could see, and you could see guys improving too. I I I felt like it was the first time, for example, that Ristolainen was really coached. Yeah, and you could properly. you could see him, you could, yeah, pro- properly coached, and you could see it clicking in with him. I I like the way that that Cam York came along over the yeah. season. You, you could you could see the effect that Shaw was having. So it would be a big loss to the organization, but a is just a high, really bright hockey guy and respected coach, and he's just a decent person, good guy. You yeah. know, I'd, I'd like I'd like to see for his sake uh, Shaw get the chance, but uh, yeah, it, it would be it would be a loss to the organization. They would have to figure that out if he was to be hired somewhere. Yeah, I, for for his from a personal standpoint, I hope he gets a, a head coaching job. From a selfish standpoint, I hope he doesn't because project this year is is Travis Sanheim. Yeah, to rebuild sure. the player, for sure. That's a that's a big one. Um, last thing, Bill. Um, there's a certain coach that coached here in Philadelphia, and I think he wants to coach every team in the Metropolitan Division because he's getting darn close. Uh, there's a lot of smoke right now around Peter Laviolette and the New York Rangers. Now, Laviolette's coached um, his first head coaching gig was in a division with the New York Islanders. He coached there for two years, two seasons, um, and then. Obviously, after that, he goes to Carolina, wins a cup in Carolina, leaves Carolina. He comes to Philadelphia, 
leaves here, goes to Nashville, gets to another cup final, and then goes to Washington. So if he grabs the Rangers, that'll be five of the teams in the division that he has coached. He's also rumored to be close with maybe Columbus, too. So yeah. it could be either of those teams. Yeah. Um, you know, Danny Briere said one of the most interesting things I ever heard about the players players playing for a certain coach. He said, you know, Lavi is the only coach I've ever had who coaches offense. Um and that's interesting. He said, you know, most coaches, they obviously, it, it, they, they coach defensive systems, breakouts, those kind of things, and then just leave it to players to create. You know? Yeah. And, and, um, and he said that Lavi actually coached offense. Um, the Rangers sound like a perfect match. Yeah, they um, do. And, and also, you know, also they have uh, you know, the, the Rangers are a team with, uh, they've, they're a high budget team, right? Yep. And they have their they have their stars there, the Panarins, the Foxes, right? But now they need to now they need to take those next steps. And sometimes sometimes that those can be the hardest steps to take too. Yeah. Um, you know, you you're you're a rebuilding team and they rebuild pretty quickly, you know, in part because Panarin only wanted to go to the Rangers, because Fox only wanted to go to the Rangers. Um you and came I, along. <laughs> just start, I was just gonna say Shastarkin being the uh, you know, obviously a huge, huge, huge part of that, and um, and I said, you know, if um, and we've we've discussed this before, if this rebuild with the Rangers had been based on Lafreniere and Kako, yeah, right, just based on where they are in the development, right? Yeah, all, all of a sudden it's not looking like the rebuild's working so well, right? Yeah, um, but they they've hit they've hit the next level where uh, they they're they're a contending team. But now they now they have to take that the next step further, and the hardest pieces to put in place, especially as your your cap fills up, is those final pieces. Yeah. Um, uh, Lavi came in, and, and he's he's a coach who tends to make his biggest impact early. Yeah. Um, and did in Philly, he did in Nashville. Um, I I could see him doing that for the Rangers. Um, you know, once you get year two, year three, you have diminishing returns typically with Lavi. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's he's in, you know he's different than torch but they like these very hard pushing yeah and and he so he has you know, all coaches have a shelf life um lavi's shelf life is actually tend to be shorter than torts actually significantly but, yeah yeah but uh i i could see the rangers being a team that could come out of the east yeah, um, see the rangers yeah. didn't do a full-blown rebuild either they didn't tear it they, they got rid of some they kind of did what torch talks about they had some subtraction some older guys that didn't fit a timeline with mcdonough and other guys but they didn't trade away Zabanejad. They didn't trade away Kreider. You know, they, yeah, sure. they ended up bringing in Truba. Um, so, I mean, to me, that's a, that's a very unique rebuild. It was unique from the time they sent the letter out, and then the way things played out with those two players that wanted to play there, and then the other elements of it as well. With, I mean, Zabanejad is he's an excellent player. <laughs> Kreider is yeah. a guy who scored fifty last year, so not bad. Um, all right, let's wrap it up there. Let's get back to our Memorial Day barbecues and everything else. And uh, we'll be back Wednesday with another brand new episode as our Flyers Exit Day player interview series continues. And uh, Bill will join us a week from today. And we'll be back with another Mondays with Meltzer. But in the meantime, check out Bill's work on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. And we'll talk to you Wednesday on a brand new Flyers Day. Why don't you ask-